1: we have to tell you about something that every Star Wars fan needs to have. It's from Enso Rings. It's an industry leader in high quality, 100% silicone rings. They have teamed up with Star Wars to make these amazing rings that are instant collector's items. It's so cool, It it's six rings. Each one represents the design of a character. What does your wife think about you having an Enso ring as your new wedding ring? (laughs) She said, as long as it's the Mandalorian, we're cool. Perfect. So it's a perfect gift for the Star Wars fan in your life or for yourself. And if you're still looking for a killer Father's Day gift, order Enso rings, tell him it's on the way and he'll be thrilled. Go to ensorings.com today.
2: That's E-N-S-O rings.com. And you can even get free shipping with the code STARWARS. That's EnsoRings.com. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hey there, I'm Reza Aslan.
1: And I'm Rain Wilson and today we are going to talk about bombs.
2: No, 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 we're not we're not talking about bombs. So
1: bombs were apparently invented by Robert Oppenheimer in Look, 1945. No, Rain, that's
2: fascinating, but that's not and the actual topic. What's really interesting
1: bombs. is that, Reza, please, that atomic bombs have only been used twice in a
2: war. I'm just going to pretend that my co-host Rain is having an aneurysm uh, because he apparently can't remember uh, the topic of today's conversation. So bombs
1: get their energy from fission reactions.
2: Do you understand? You're ruining the podcast, okay? You are ruining the podcast, right? What? Okay, just like you ruin everything, frankly. You're accusing me of ruining everything? I'm just saying, I mean, maybe you don't ruin everything. But I yeah, ruin everything? You ruin, you ruin a lot of things. Ruining ev- at,
1: That's a way better
2: topic than bombs.
1: Why do we ruin everything?
2: Why do we ruin why everything?
1: Why do we fuck up every last bloomin' thing, human beings? Honestly,
2: this is a question that I ask myself all the time. Reza, why do you have to fuck everything up? It's a condition that I would say, like, most of human— I would say all of society— has this condition, like this need to just ruin everything, every good idea we have.
1: Well, it's been happening since the dawn of time, but especially it goes hand in hand with technology, don't you think? Yeah. All of these innovations, wonderful innovations, you got electricity, right? We're so happy for electricity, it gives light and heat
2: and warmth to billions, and we can also use it in an electric chair right? I, I'm, th- I'm thinking about that first, you know, that first ape that grabbed that rock and was like, hey, I can open this. I can open a coconut with this rock. I can also open a skull with this rock. Like, this is just who we are. We ruin things. So why do we ruin things, Reza? Well, look, I mean, I think part of it has to do with the fact that we don't really, we don't tend to think about the implications or the full consequences of our actions or our creations, you know, our innovations. We're so excited about the next new thing, right? And how it's going to change the world. It's going to change everything. And then we never really stop to say, wait, what, for better or for worse? Because it's usually for worse. I think, I think that's part of it. We just don't think far enough.
1: Well, frequently used example, but I'm going to go there, is this little pocket computer that I have uh, called an iPhone. If you had said to young Rain Wilson uh, 20 years ago, hey, uh, you can have a little uh, computer in your pocket and in it, you will have all your photographs you've ever taken. In it, you will have unlimited supply of songs, any song you ever wanna hear. Um, you wanna hear Ziggy Stardust. Uh, it, in, in three and a half seconds, you can pull that up. You can Google. Anything, any piece of information you want to know, there's endless supply of games. Uh, people can be in touch with you. There's maps. You will never get lost again. You'll never be alone again. I'll never be alone again. I would, say, I would say, bring it on. Oh my God, this is the answer to all of my problems right here in my pocket. And yet, who would have foreseen how addicted I am to this phone and that I have seven hours of screen time a day, Reza. Check your screen time.
2: I seven hours I a day. It, I'm telling you, that's so. It's so true. Like I remember the the smartphone. I was thinking to myself, "Wow, like so, you'll never be bored again because you always have everything at your at your disposal." And now, besides the fact that it's hard to actually maintain, you know, my actual human relationships because <laughs> I, my phone is with me at all times. Um, it, I'm bored now. Like I'm literally like really. Only a million songs, is that it? I don't know, there's nothing else on here.
1: But also, what's wrong with boredom? Boredom was not
2: something that we needed to fix. There used to be times when I would like, be alone with my thoughts. Wow. I I honestly can't remember. I really can't remember the last time I was alone with my thoughts because my fucking phone is with me.
1: I thought that today, I literally, meditation is an important part of my life. I went to meditate. And I have my phone as a timer and I had my phone with me. I'm like, why do I have my flipping phone with me when I'm meditating? I want to meditate. I want to commune with the spirit of the universe. I don't need my phone to tell me that it's my move now in a chess game with my friend Wade.
2: I mean, we could look, we could come up with a thousand examples of like things that were created or ideas that were advanced or innovations that were developed that- you know, were to make things better, right, to make the world better. And it ended up making everything worse. I mean, yes, the phone, that's a good one. Internet, absolutely. Social media. I mean, I I guess you and I are old enough to remember a time not that long ago where there wasn't Twitter, right, where Facebook didn't exist. And then it showed up and we were like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, I remember when when Twitter showed up and I was like, so you're telling me that I can tell everyone in the world what I am thinking at any time, <laughs> and then you know what happened? I started telling everyone in the world what I was thinking at, at any, any time. time. Well, look, this is a this is a fascinating uh, topic. It's something that obviously you and I have a lot of personal, uh, you know, involvement in. Why do we ruin everything? And I think I think we might have the right person to help us answer this question. <laughs>
1: Ladies and gentlemen, um, we have uh, a writer. Uh, Apparently, he's published a few books uh, on the show today um, on Metaphysical Milkshake. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Sounds like a made-up name to me. Anyways, big fan of all of those books you wrote, Freakonomics, Sapiens. You're the best.
2: Um, No, 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 dude, Rain. Welcome to the what? No, it's the wrong guy. Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote Tipping Point, Blink, David and Goliath, Eat, Pray, Love, all of them huge, huge international
1: bestsellers. I loved Eat, Pray, Love.
2: It made me cry.
1: It's so beautiful. (laughs) You know,
0: for the longest time, people legit thought I did write Freakonomics. Back when Freakonomics was that massive international bestseller, at least half of the people who would come up and talk to me, you know... Hey, you're Malcolm Gable, yeah. I love Freakonomics. And they would go on and on for like, you know how they go on. People in that situation go on for like 10 minutes and you don't have a chance to interrupt and say, "No, no, 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 I'm sorry. And then you realize you can't interrupt and say, that's not me. No, no. And finally, my strategy was just, I would just say, yeah, it's, you know, thank you so much. Really.
2: That's, it was a great book. I enjoyed writing it. <laughs> I'm now working on, you know, Freakonomics too. <laughs> Weird, like Rain gets that with Tom Cruise all the time. People are always like, all love the, the Mission Impossible
1: movies. But there there's periods of time as an actor that I go through where I get legit recognized as someone else in another movie. For years, it was Vincent Vincent D'Onofrio and Men in Black who, remember, he played that kind of lumbering alien walking <laughs> yes. down the street. Um, yes. And there is a certain resemblance there. And it was just all the time. Loved you. Love your work. Great. It was so funny. The alien, Men in Black. And I did the same thing. It's kind of like, hey, thank you. Thank you.
2: Obviously, we're just ribbing you. We know all about Malcolm Gladwell and uh, all the stuff that you do, the Revisionist History Podcast, the amazing books. And, of course, your. Uh, newest book, uh Bomber Mafia, which actually happens to be my favorite of your books. I, I really, really loved this thing. I was listening to it on SoundCloud and uh, you know, just kind of basically ignoring my children for the last two or three days, just getting so deep into And he has seven children. History. That's a hard
1: that's a hard I have, task. I have seven, seven <laughs> currently a lot of seven
2: children. We'll see how it goes. Um which who makes the cut in other words. Um but I love this book. It's actually I have to say, of all of your books, it's the one that I found to be um, most like a history book, right? I mean, it was like a a deep dive into a particular moment in time um, in uh, the Second World War. It looks at this huge technological innovation during that war that, you know, could have massively reduced the number of war casualties. uh, But didn't because we managed to fuck it up. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, all the themes and issues that arise from the book, but maybe just for our listeners, tell us who exactly were the bomber mafia?
0: So, there's a group of pilots in the 1930s uh, who were all at a place called Maxwell Field, which is now Maxwell Air Force Base, just outside of Montgomery, Alabama. And they're, you know, this is the dawn of the age of air power. So, Planes have only been around for, you know, twenty years. Um, it's brand new technology. No one's really figured out what they mean if you want to fight a war. They're just a kind of plaything, and there's this group of these these guys. They're all young. They're in their twenties and early thirties, and they're way off the reservation. They, no one else involved in the U.S. Army or the Navy or any other part of the Marines, thinks these people are sane. They think they're all nuts and you know they're not in Washington DC and they're not in California not in, they're in the they're outside of Montgomery Alabama right in the sleepiest and they're just they they kind of get together and drink a lot of bourbon and they have this dream they decide we don't think the airplane is this novelty we think the airplane is going to change warfare forever and we're going to be the ones to do it and so they call themselves the bomber mafia because they have this dream. And in 1936, they had a little school, at Maxwell Air Force Base, 36, 37, 38, 39, years before the war. And not a lot of people went through that school, but the people who graduated from the school run by the bomber mafia were the ones who, you could argue, they were the ones who won the war for the Allies. I mean, everyone who was anyone in the Air Force during the Second World War spent time drinking the Kool-Aid in central Alabama. I mean, it's this a crazy forgotten story from the Second World
1: War. So one of the things I loved about Bomber Mafia was the incredible cast of characters that you painted um, there at the training facility throughout the army. Um, uh, the, and then this, this burgeoning air force, this kind of nascent air force, which was so brand new. Um, and two of the greatest characters were Haywood, Haywood, Hansel and Curtis LeMay. And Mm -hmm. the thing I was interested about was that Hansel was uh, the one who was really uh, part of the bomber mafia and- he's like the godfather of the bomber mafia, right? He was Mm -hmm. like- Yeah. And and searching for this goal of precision bombing that if we can bomb the exact right target in the exact right way and the exact right day- we can cause incredible reverberations throughout the uh, the enemy's army and production and industry and and bring it to a screeching halt and this way we save lives and uh, reduce the time of the war it's like win-win-win all around so Mm -hmm. this uh, a handful of people come up with this idea later you get into sorry spoiler alert but i i because we're got diving into the ideas underneath what you've written. Um, Curtis LeMay is, a, you know, trained in the same place, but has a very different philosophy. Uh, maybe you can explain a little bit about Curtis LeMay and also the differences between the two, because then I have a, a, a question for you about it.
0: Yeah. So imagine, here's the best way to think about it. Imagine that you're Canada, and you would like to defeat the United States in a war. And you're the head of the Canadian Air Force. Um, And you decide the surest way to get America to give up and sue for peace is to cripple New York City. And actually, the bomber mafia, one of the exercises they did was this exact thing. How would we bring New York City to its knees? One approach would be... Remove all bagels from it? Remove all bagels,
2: yes. Riots in the street, anyway.
0: One approach is you send, you know a couple hundred bombers and just level Manhattan, right? That's one approach. Mm -hmm. That's what the Germans were trying to do to the English uh, when during joined the Blitz, right? Let's just level London Mm -hmm. and see if they give up. The other approach would be the bomber mafia said, well, actually, what if all we did was take out the aqueducts that bring water to New York City? So the aqueduct, there's an aqueduct. You can see it from the air. Mm. It's still there, by the way. It's whatever. Back then, it would be six feet wide, you know, six feet off the ground. It runs 30 miles, 40, 50 miles from the Catskills into New York City. It brings 100% of the water to New York. If you take out the aqueduct and there's no drinking water in New York, how long will New York last? I mean, it won't. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's it, right? You couldn't go on. So they would say, why would you, don't bother leveling an entire city and killing millions of people, just take out the aqueduct. The same result will happen, but you'll save, you'll spare a million lives. Um, So that's the, now, if you want to do the second route, take out the aqueduct, you have to be able to hit the aqueduct.
2: Right, and that was
0: incredibly complex. Like it's- That was incredibly complex. Just almost an impossible feat, like you said. Yeah, so that's what what the, these cast of characters down in Alabama, led by this guy, Haywood Hansel, they believed you could take out the aqueduct. They were like, you know what? Everyone else thinks you can't aim a bomb. We think you can aim a bomb so well that all you have to do is take out, the, maybe take out the aqueduct and then take out like a power station, take out a couple of electrical substations. You could maybe kill 20 people and use maybe 10 bombers and you're done. Call it a day. New York's, New York's finished. That's the dream. But it
2: was an impossible dream, wasn't it?
0: I went and I had dinner with the chief of staff of the Air Force. um, Got him, David Goldfein. And afterwards, we went outside and he gathered a bunch of his top people, um, and we had drinks and we sort of chatted for two hours one summer night last summer. And he, there was a moment in the conversation when he said, "You know, we were on a." Fort Myer um, base in just outside of D.C., and there's there's a street with a row of gorgeous homes where all the top military brass live. The head of the Joint Chiefs, the vice chair of the Joint Chiefs, the head of the Air Force, long row of houses overlooking Washington, D.C. It's just incredible. And he was saying, you know, and he walked me through all the iterations of aerial warfare. He's like, in the Second World War, you would have sent this many bombers and they would have leveled the entire base with this many. And then he was like, you know, my father flew in Vietnam and he would have brought in and it would have been, you know, three, whatever it was, three uh, bombers and they would have done, and then like in the Gulf War we would have brought in what? i like, and today we would have a single stealth bomber. You wouldn't hear it coming and it would take out, you know, the room in which we're sitting and nothing else. Mm. Right? He's mm. like, talk about the evolution. And he was like, so, 50 years ago or 70 years ago, in order to kill us all around this little, you know, where we were chatting, you would have had to kill, you know, another 10 or 20,000 people because you would have bombed the entire base. Today, we could just take out you and me. So two. But he said, the difference is now the temptation to go to war is so much greater. So 75 years ago, When you thought about going to war, you're like, oh my God, to even to do even the smallest thing in this war, I'm gonna have to kill tens of thousands of people. He's like, today, you can be sit you can sit in the Oval Office and you can say, I wanna take out Malcolm. And you can take out Malcolm and no one else. So what's stopping you from taking out Malcolm? Nothing. Right? There's no collateral damage. You're not gonna kill women and children. You're not gonna like take out, not even gonna take out my cat. (laughs) <laughs> you could find Malcolm walking down the street and just take out Malcolm. So what's stopping you from doing that every single day with some other person you don't like? Yeah. Nothing. That's the new temptation. Yeah. And so to your point, is to, that's exactly the question these guys wrestle with. Is the new regime where we can hit whatever we want with absolute precision, is that more moral than the old Regime. And they don't know the answer to that question. And I don't know the answer to that question.
2: Folks, CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. I'm talking about stress. I'm talking about anxiety, pain. You know, if you're someone like me, uh, you know, I'm a writer. My neck and, and shoulders are always in agony. Little bit of CBD takes that pain right away, my friends.
1: Feels is a better way to feel better. It's a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle free, delivered directly to your door. As you know, I'm a professional MMA fighter, and CBD naturally helps. Reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. That was a joke.
2: All you got to do is put a few drops
1: uh, of Feels under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within minutes. And joining the Feels monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or
2: cancel at any time. Start feeling better with Feels. There's no reason not to. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash milkshake and you'll get 50% off your first order and free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash milkshake. Go there to
1: become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping,
2: feels.com slash milkshake. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to rub this CBD all over my naked body. Support for today's episode comes from Manscaped. Uh, Rain you're a hairy guy I'm a hairy guy You're two hairy men We need some pruning Uh, Reza We need some pruning Manscaped is the right tool for that It'll get the job done quickly, safely And hygienically You know Father's Day is around the corner
1: And you are a father of like 17 children
2: My children never get me anything for Father's Day This would be a good Father's Day gift, kids. Actually, I don't let them listen to the pod, but.
1: Okay, so here's what you wanna do get 20% off plus free shipping with the code milkshake at manscaped.com. That's 20% off manscaped.com. Use the code milkshake. It's dad bod season, Reza. Time to get smooth.
2: The brand new lawnmower 4.0 and ultra smooth package is the perfect gift for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MILKShake at manscaped.com. Well, and this brings up, of course, the uh, the topic of this pod and why we wanted you on, uh, which is why must we ruin everything? Right? Why why can't we have nice things? Why as as a as a species do humans have to just fuck everything up? We have all these great ideas, these these um, moral imperatives, whether it's target bombing or whether it's the internet and, and social media or whether it's just factories and the industrial revolution, whatever it is, we we act in Uh, and goodness and in an attempt to make life better for humans and what always seems to happen is that we end up making things worse. The factories uh, destroy the environment, the internet which is supposed to give freedom uh, to people and and let people's voices be heard very quickly becomes just another way for tyrants and autocrats to stifle uh, any kind of freedom of speech. Um, Social media, which is just a cesspool, you know, was supposed to change the way that we communicate with each other and expand all of our circles give us access to new sources of knowledge and information And instead, all it's done is made our world smaller and more siloed. Uh, What is the thing about the human condition? And this is a huge part of the Bobber Mafia. What is the thing about the human condition that just has to fuck up every good intention that we have, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to these technological advances?
0: Yeah, we can't. Yeah, it isn't it interesting? Like, (laughs) we can't help ourselves. Can't have nice things. The part of this interests me is I think in part it's because we're always solving the part of the problem that's not a problem.
2: Expand on that. Tell me, tell me more.
0: Well, so for example, um, Google. Googling <laughs> something gives you unlimited access to all the information you could possibly want. Um, before we had Google, was that a problem? Well, no, wasn't a problem in 1995. Was my life ruined because I couldn't look up the capital of Thailand in two seconds? No, I I could find out the capital of Thailand. It just would take me a little bit longer. But it wasn't, I wouldn't have identified, if you'd said to me in 1995, Malcolm, your life is forever scarred because you can't find out Bangkok in two seconds. I would have said, actually, no, it's not, that's not the, I have problems in my life. That's not one of them. So Google <laughs> looks at all the problems that Malcolm has and decides... The one we're going to solve is, we're going to let you look up Bangkok in two seconds. Like, that's a sort of dumb version, but here's another dumb one. But it, it's amazing how many of you do, uh, I'm a big runner. Right now, the running world is in tumult because Nike and all the shoe companies have come up with shoes that makes everyone run faster, way faster. So every record is being broken right now, which has the effect of erasing the past So now, like, we don't even know who the fastest runners are anymore. Someone's going to break Usain Bolt's 100-meter record this summer, but not because they're better than Usain Bolt, but because their shoes are better. So now, Hmm. that solves a problem of, of it helps us run faster. But that wasn't a problem. The problem with running was not that we're not running fast enough. The problem was we get injured, or the problem is not enough people run. How about a shoe that helps people who don't want to run, run. That strikes me as a legitimately good shoe. That's not the shoe we got. The shoe we got was it helped people who already run like maniacs to run <laughs> a couple seconds faster. <laughs> Why are you solving that problem? That's not right, the problem. Right? Right. But I feel like we do endless versions of this. Like it's, constant, like it's just like, I want to convene all the smart people of the world and say, okay, guys, look, Let's just, can we just decide on what the top 10 biggest problems are? Let's just focus on those for five minutes as opposed to running off and like giving me some other like thing that someone's right now in the world is trying to make a bicycle, which is one ounce lighter. Why? <laughs> <laughs> the problem with bicycles is that when I ride my bicycle, I'm afraid a car's going to hit me and kill me. Solve that problem, please. Right? <laughs> it's like it's just to end, but it's just to your point. This is why we can't have nice things
1: because all the smart people are not solving the thing, the problems that are problems. But isn't there something a little, a little deeper? Isn't there something a little underneath that a little bit, which is, uh, we're so into short-term gain that, Mm -hmm. uh, we don't think things through and doesn't, doesn't there need to be, for instance, let's just use precision bombing. um, Mm -hmm. What it led to is in this kind of war against terror that we're in right now, is it, I'm not trying to get all political, but essentially what it's led to is a kind of nonstop war. And then precision bombing is used as an assassination technique. So there's a constant kind of button being pushed. Oh, someone's getting assassinated. Oh, they got taken out.
2: Oh, this general got taken out. This person. I'd say one step further than that, it's turned war into a video game. So. Mm -hmm. Our fighters aren't even necessarily out in the battlefield anymore; they're in a cubicle.
1: You've seen the guys flying the drones; they they're this. They look like guys playing an Xbox. You know what? Along these very lines, what when uh what
0: the when I was chatting with all those Air Force generals, they were talking about the stealth bomber. So the stealth bomber is in. I may have this correct incorrect. It's in um, Kansas on an Air Force base in Kansas. And it's in Kansas because it's so valuable, costs so much, it's got to be in the center of the, com- of the country so we can defend it. So when we were fighting the war, and I think in, uh, in Bosnia, or that the, the guys would get in the plane, dry, they live in this suburb of whatever city in the middle of Kansas. They would drive to the Air Force base, get in the plane, and plane so fast, they would fly to wherever it was, drop their bombs, fly home, and then pick up their kids from school. Wow. It's like the whole notion of, you know, this, you have to go to the field of battle and you're away from your family for months. No, 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 these guys are literally, they're they're getting in the Ford Escape at eight o'clock in the morning and driving (laughs) to the Air Force Base. And they're in, they're over Europe in like,
2: whatever it is, a couple, two hours. Now they don't even do that, right? Now they just go to, you know, again, some like office building Somewhere in Virginia, and,
1: yeah, and fly the yeah. drone do it from over from yeah. there and pick up uh, Papa John's pizza on the way home.
2: Yeah, it's we. It's so, it is so weird. I mean, so here's the question I have, Malcolm: Is has it always been like this? I mean, I mean what, do you feel like there was a time in in you know human society in which you know we actually stopped to think about the long term morality behind these innovations? Or as Rain said. Is it just that part of the human condition is that we can't, we don't have the ability for that kind of long-term thinking, that we're always trying to solve the problem immediately in front of us, and mm-hmm. we don't stop to think what will be the consequences for solving this particular problem? I mean, occasionally,
0: we clearly get it right some portion of the time, right? That's, that's why we have progressed as a species. And you and I can point to 10, 20 you know, the COVID vaccine solves a problem that's a problem. Like we did a really Mm -hmm. good job on that. So we can get our act together and we can focus. I just think there's a lot of time spent on, I remember, I don't want to pick on, everyone picks on him, but I'm going to pick on Jeff Bezos for a moment. Somebody asked him why he built this, you know, he wants to build a rocket that goes to wherever it is, Mars. And they were like, well, why are you spending billions of your dollars building a Rocket to go to Mars, he goes like that was just the most interesting problem I could I could think of trying to solve, and I was like, really, dude, that's 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 the problem. That's how about poverty? The most interesting hunger. I don't (laughs) know. Can I borrow 15 minutes of your time to give you some other suggestions about where you want to put your billions?
1: Although, in Bezos's uh, favor, I will say he's shifted Mm. his focus now, and he is putting. Tens of billions, 60, 80, mm. 100 billion dollars towards fighting climate change, which is cool. Although, yeah. you know, yeah. sidebar, he's it is causing kind the of,
2: climate change.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, he's, you know, he's doing this uh, carbon sequestration kind of technology. Like, how do we not cease polluting, but actually just take carbon from the atmosphere yeah. and put it back in No, that's the Earth? a better.
0: I'll admit. I, th- I thought it was funny that the minute his wife, Mackenzie, sets out on her own, she immediately gives away a whole lot of money for some really, really good causes. Like right. I feel like she was sort of sitting in the back, like thinking she was thinking about it. Now,
2: I can, you, Jeff, there's some better things we can do with our cash. I mean, I have an idea, Jeff. Maybe don't send me one tube of toothpaste at a time. That that seems like an <laughs> well, easy. Well, maybe
1: maybe Reza, don't order one tube of toothpaste at a time because that's what I right. do it's, with it's Amazon. Like, oh, I yeah, got no toothpaste. True. Blip, 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 Here's my mini computer in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Whoever invented that idea. Blunk. Oh, toothpaste. And then the next day it's at my house. But I I, I want to bring, I want to talk about morality for a minute. I know this is, I know this is, a, it's, a, it's a difficult topic, but it's just like, forget religion. Let's put religion aside. Let's put the Ten Commandments aside and God and hell and damnation and any of that nonsense aside and, and just talk about like just good old fashioned right and wrong. And isn't this a result. Why do we fuck things up? Because morality is not connected to technology. Because when science happened, uh, science wanted to be unfettered from any kind of restraint. It just is like, we are just going to look at data and we're going to uh, create experiments and we're going to solve problems and we're just going to build shit. And there was never that kind of ongoing discussion of like, okay, precision bombing. Let's get together. Let's have a colloquium. Let's have a Zoom meeting. Let's uh bring everyone to the table and talk about, okay, what are the what are the consequences of precision bombing? What might precision bombing look like in 10, 20, 50, 100 years? And how now can we address that? Isn't morality at play in this discussion, Malcolm? Well, the You know, the original
0: bomber mafia certainly felt they were representing a moral position, a considered moral position. And I think uh, in their context, they were right. So they didn't, they weren't thinking about how the modern world would use some of the ideas they were proposing and technologies they were proposing to turn war into a kind of 24-7 phenomenon. They had a legitimate immediate concern, which was, they had just come out of the First World War, which was, you know, the First World War is, was one of the most extraordinary moral abominations of, you know, where a million people died in one battle in the First World War, in the Battle of the Somme. It's crazy. So they were saying, we don't need to do that again. We, we you know, so I don't think, I think what happens, it's not that morality and technology are disconnected. It's that I think they very often start connected. And what happens is that they just go on divergent paths. Like, I do think the people who started Twitter, you know, honestly felt that Twitter could be an agent for positive change and it could be a way to fight tyranny. It could do all these, you know, remember all the excitement around Twitter and Arab Spring? People, that was an honest belief that Twitter was a force for good. Turns out probably isn't, doesn't have the impact we thought it would. But that's not the fault of, Um, it's just that we didn't, no one had any notion about how that technology would evolve. You know, we didn't realize that Twitter was just going to turn into high school. We (laughs) thought it was something nobler and, you know, grander. Um, and so I don't know, I think it's just kind of impossible for anyone who's at the, in on the ground floor of a technology to understand the way it's going to evolve, the way it's going to interact with
2: That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. DTW, We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Does it also have to do with the fact that innovation moves at such a fast pace, right? That it, it yeah. is sometimes difficult to slow down long enough to say what are, what, what are the consequences of this? Like, I mean, I remember the genius of Twitter was precisely that you could be anonymous. And so if you were, you know, a green movement member in uh, Tehran, you could be on Twitter and anonymously post information without, you know, putting your life at risk. And that same very important innovation in 2009 now (laughs) makes it, you know, the worst place on earth uh, where, you know, any asshole can say whatever he wants to say about, you know, anyone without ever having to deal with um, the consequences because of, of Twitter's anonymity. So in a sense, like... The issue here is that the, the, this in each case, the source of our progress is also the source of our downfall. And we mm-hmm. can't catch up to the technological innovations because they're moving at such a rapid pace. Um, and so it, it's almost like this this rock is rolling down the hill and there's almost nothing to be done about it. One, one technological innovation leads to the next one, leads to the next one, leads to the next one. And then next thing you know, you know war is a video game played by teenagers in inside of you know cubicles and so what i want you to do because you you've spent 30 years right delving into um, aspects of history and historical trends and i'm curious when you when you look at certainly the last you know 50 years or so of technological innovation since since the since the second world war most definitely and when you look at The ways in which we have used technology or or created technology meant for good only to have it turned against us in one way or another. Do you feel like there's some kind of hope? Like, do you do you see that this perpetual cycle, you know, of being fucked by fucking up, uh, to put it uh, kindly? Do you see that cycle heading in the right direction, or? Are things just going to get worse, especially now with you know the the current pace of technological advancement
0: yeah, I mean I'm congenitally optimistic, so I always like to believe that we figure things these problems out um I do think you know this is a this is a a, uh, a random example of this i was I read this essay on the internet um by a guy who was, doesn't have a lot of money and was talking about what does it mean to be just about the poverty line in America, right? I am not just about the poverty line in America. So a lot of what he was talking about is stuff I don't think about. And one of the examples he was talking about was, you know, if you're not on the just above the poverty line, you forget how big a deal cars are, if you are. That you're in fear that your car is gonna break down. And if your car breaks down, you're screwed can't get to work, you could lose your job, can't do really, really basic things, and you don't have any other options. And the cost of fixing your car is typically more than you can afford. And it's just talking through that kind of anxiety. And it made me think, you know, has anyone designed a car with that set of things in mind? So, you know, we we design um, mass transit with that person in mind, but mass transit in most cities doesn't have that, doesn't actually solve that person's problem because you could spend four hours getting to your job on the other side of LA. You know, it doesn't help you if you got to wake up at, you're already stressed out. You got to work at four o'clock now to get to work at eight. Um, but does someone say, I can build a car that not only is cheap to buy and cheap to run, but is, I have ruthlessly removed every source of potential breaking down, you know, that's all I care about. Doesn't have to be fancy, doesn't have to be sort of, we've done that, but not really, right? Like that's a really, really useful thing to kind of puzzle out. But I do I think we'll have that in five years? I actually kind of think with some combination of like electric cars and autonomous thingy and, you know, if you add all these together, we could get to a, some kind of solution for that person. Um, but it's amazing to me how long it's taken us to get there. (laughs) Right. We've been poor people have had trouble getting to work for as long as there have been poor people and they have, you know, and like, and it's gotten worse in contemporary times with, you know, inequality and traffic and all these kinds of things. And like, it just, it distresses me how long it's taken, but I do have confidence we'll get there. It's funny you bring that up because as a
1: kid, the first time I ever rode on a golf cart, I was like, why don't we just have golf carts? Why don't we have all these different cars and trucks and bus, like everyone, just give everyone a golf cart. And the first time I was on the bumper cars, I was like, why can't everyone why can't anyone everyone just have a bumper car? This is perfect. We can just bump into each other all the time. We be- can bump and it doesn't hurt anyone <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. can bump, you can have fun. Take care and, of all our accidents. You, But isn't that where we're headed? Yeah. I know this is kind <laughs> of no, a, a tangential, but we're kind of headed in the place where everyone is going to have the equivalent of a golf cart, bumper car that maybe yeah, okay, maybe it's range is a little bit limited, 200 miles and maybe it only goes up to 40 or 50 miles an hour, but that's But it doesn't break down. It charges at night. It doesn't have emissions. Anyway, we'll figure out a way
0: to screw it up. To follow up, so that's actually a really good example. And I know this is a tangent, but it allows you to think about what has to happen for us to get there. So yes, could we have a world where every car is essentially very, very small and is a bumper car, where if it it collides with another, they just kind of bounce off. Yes, you can get there, but the only way you get have to get there is that rich people have to give up their big, heavy, expensive cars. Mm-hmm. We all have to agree. Well, if we all agree to ride around in little, tiny, light things, then all cars can be little, tiny, and light. But if one person says no, I still want to drive my SUV, then it doesn't work anymore, right? <laughs> because then everyone else has to defend against the SUV. Right? So you you get into these 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 questions of solving social problems very, very quickly become questions about collective morality that I have to convince the person with the Cadillac Escalade or the Range Rover, you can't have a Range Rover anymore, right? (laughs) To solve the problem for the guy who's on the poverty line, you have to give up your ride. Are you willing to give up your ride, (laughs) right? Now we have a now we have a moral now we have a moral social complicated problem to solve
2: I think uh, I'm pretty sure Malcolm just figured out the subject of his next New Yorker article the bumper yes. cars bumper cars <laughs> bumper for all car. yeah.
1: <laughs> this was uh, just a fascinating discussion I got so much out of it and the the way that you take history and you intersect it with life's biggest questions and psychological and sociological quandaries is uh, really inspiring and uh and you've done that again with Bomber Mafia, and uh, it was uh, it was just fabulous. It's got my my mind is is bubbling.
2: And speaking of big questions, uh, Malcolm, you know we like to end our podcast with what we call the lightning round. We just ask you a bunch of kind of big questions, and then you just answer the, the first thing that comes to your mind and then right. we snicker and make fun of you silently. Um, you ready for that? No, not silently. After he leaves. What's the one skill you wish you had?
0: Wish I could uh, swim.
2: You literally can't swim? Like you you're, sink you're, to the bottom like a stone? Can't swim. Wow, that's great.
1: Because I was going to ask my lightning round question is, what is something no one knows about you? Probably that I can't swim. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what emotion do you wish you could better control? Oh my God, what an interesting question.
0: Well, I'm such a repressed Englishman. I feel like they're all under control. I, w- I would ask the question differently. Which emotion do you, do you wish you couldn't control? <laughs> right. Which one would you want to let go, let loose? Uh, well, you know, I, I wish I was more um, emotionally expressive particularly in my um, in my affections for people. You
1: know, I wish I told people who I love that I love them more, I suppose is how I would say that. You can practice on me right now. I love you, Rain. What, name something that a lot of people like, but you
2: can't stand. Little Mermaid. Big opponent of the, of the little, little Mermaid. Yeah, people don't know this about you, Malcolm, but you've really got it in for the Little Mermaid. I have it
0: in for the Little Mermaid.
2: Uh, when do you feel most connected to the universe?
1: When I'm running. What's one eye-opening experience that everyone should have?
0: Well, I'll go back to running. Everyone should know what it feels like to run for more than an hour. Uh, So to be by yourself in nature, alone with your thoughts in motion for more than 60 minutes. All right, and then
2: finally, what is your life's big question?
0: uh it's a question that my that i got from my mom which is every morning i feel like my mother would ask the question where do i find
2: joy in the coming day that's my question that's a great daily question here's a funny thing that malcolm will not remember this story but before my first book had come out that's when i first met you malcolm i met you at a party somewhere Mm -hmm. and I remember we're having a conversation, we were having drinks, and I said to you, you know, I've got a book coming out. Do you have any advice for me? And this is what you said. You said, yes. Remember, nobody gives a fuck about you or your book except you. Do you remember telling me that? I said that? No. It was eye-opening. It was the greatest advice I have ever heard. I've literally given that advice to dozens of more people. You may have a publicist, you may have an editor, you may have, you know, a marketing machine behind you, you may have, you know, an agent and all that stuff. They don't give a fuck about you or your book.
0: You know, that's what I meant.
2: <laughs> yes, that is true. Literally, my entire career was launched from that bit of advice. Just do it yourself because no one else cares. It's just you. Anyway. Well, Malcolm Gladwell,
1: we've loved all your books from The Power of Now to Songs My Father Taught Me to It Takes (laughs) a Village. Um, My favorite
2: was Beloved. Absolutely Uh, genius
1: work. Thank you for all of those wonderful stories. Thank you for your contribution to Western civilization. And thanks for this conversation. It was really fantastic. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thank you guys.
2: Wow, that Malcolm Gladwell, huh? How about My kids that? going places? He's what a, a storyteller. You know, really, really interesting conversation, and uh, you know, I, I was thinking about the whole bumper car idea, like individual bumper cars, and uh, it's kind of genius if you think about it. Like if we all just had, you know, these kind of small. Bumper cars are like covered in rubber and just yep. kind of bouncing off each other all the time. There'd be no more accidents and deaths, you know. Everyone
1: turns 16, they all get a bumper car that is never going to break down. Uh, sealed, nice little radio in there, protect you from the elements. Maybe it just needs a little heater.
2: Yeah, this could be I the future. This. I think it's so I think really- I it's great. What could go wrong? Nothing, what could, I'm go wrong. To say. Nothing like, could go wrong. Nothing could go wrong,
1: except possibly... some asshole is going to outfit his bumper car with even bigger bumpers. And then what's going to happen?
2: Then I have to have bigger bumpers, obviously, like if he's having bigger bumpers. So you can really slam someone going down the Ventura freeway. You know, I, I knew I knew that you were going to figure out then, a way to screw it up. Then
1: we've got Gladiator bumper cars, right? You saw Ben Hur, <laughs> yeah. the little spikes sticking out of the side. Yeah. Then, then ginormous think about that bumper one. cars, the size of SUVs.
2: I guess the other thing, too, is we'd have to put bumpers on all the, like, the highways, too, right? Because you got to bump off the wall. Oh, that would be so much fun, though. Maybe this isn't going to work now that I think about it, actually. See, we we, we ruined it. We ruined it.
1: Yeah, well, just screw it up. In all seriousness, I was really uh, touched by his optimism. And uh, for someone who's written this many books and has dove in, dived into... uh, human psychology and sociology with uh, as much expertise as he has over the decades, Uh, he's still optimistic for the future and the can-do human attitude that can overcome these issues. So I enjoyed hearing that about this conversation. It's just us that are the hopeless cynics, Reza.
2: It's mostly me. Let's just be honest. It's
1: you. Basically, (laughs) it's you.
2: But your wife is so nice. Is she available to do a podcast with me?
1: super fun conversation thank you again to malcolm gladwell everyone check out his new book slash audiobook slash podcast extravaganza storytelling event the bomber mafia it truly is a fascinating tale
2: and uh listen maybe you want some more of uh, life's big questions you can find us on our socials at reza aslan and at rain wilson also of course at metaphysical milkshake and on twitter we're at Meta Milk Podcast. Let us know your life's questions, right? And who knows? We, we just might explore them on a future episode.
1: You can also subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel,
2: where you can watch full episodes
1: every week. And remember to follow, rate, and comment on Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
2: Thank you so much for listening today. See you next week. In the meantime, try not to ruin everything.
1: Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Justin Kyle. Original music by Jeff Tang.
2: Like my wife is, I I, I love cooking and I love cooking for my wife. And she's always so grateful for, you know, the meals that I make for her. And it makes me feel good until I realize she likes everything. (laughs) There's nothing she doesn't like. So
1: then just make her grilled cheese and call it a day.